that better? Maybe worse. Huh? <laughs> um, well, it's a privilege um, and an honor to be here. It's a privilege to bring you greetings from the uh, other 22 churches of Mountain Valley Baptist Association. And um, it's... it's um, sort of interesting to be the resident stranger in some respects, <laughs> uh, because with 23 churches, I can only average showing up about twice a year, so you may, each time I come, you may say, who is that? <laughs> so, but it's a delight to serve as your director of missions, and uh, to be a part of, of the work that we're seeking to accomplish together. Um, there are <clears throat> churches that need your prayers. Um, God is answering prayers. Uh, Canaan Trail in Capitan is without a pastor, but they're getting closer uh, as their committee searches and seeks for one. Um, Primera and uh, New Life in Alamogordo both uh, need a pastor and uh, are seeking uh, the Lord's direction in their church's life. So your prayers are needed for that as well and then um, one thing that we've been praying for together as an association is a church planter Spanish language church planter for chaparral uh, you say well that's a long way away <laughs> yeah it makes our association three hours across because we go all the way up to Corona and uh, if we get a congregation in chaparral uh, that, that would make it three hours but it'd be very much worth it. There are about 15,000 people in Chaparral. Um, about 11 or 12,000 Spanish speakers among that group. And there's uh, one Southern Baptist church that's actually in the other half of the town in Doniana County. Runs about uh, 10 or less. And a Spanish work that meets in their congregation, in their building, that runs 25 or less. So that's not a big dent in eleven or 12,000. We need a church, and we need a church planter. So please pray about that. Uh, in speaking with Dennis Garcia, he has three men that he's been praying over and thinking about, but none of them have really stepped up and finished or stepped forward to be that person. So lots of prayer needs. On this uh, beautiful Sunday in, in March, I would invite you to turn with me to John chapter 20. Or we've, uh, we've come not to be uh, entertained. We, we've come really not to hear about Mountain Valley Baptist Association. And we've not really come just for First Baptist Cloudcroft. We've come to honor the Lord, to worship His name to celebrate His presence. And uh, He is the living Lord. And this is the living Word. <laughs> it has no error in it. It is God's truth to us. We're only about, uh, what, three or what, four weeks, I guess, away from uh, Easter on the 21st of April. Uh, this is a kind of a post-Easter <laughs> message in some regards. But uh, in John chapter 20, verse 24 and following, we run into a guy that we've heard a lot about, 
probably don't know a whole lot about. And uh, that's, that's uh, the guy that we refer to as Doubting Thomas. So in uh, John twenty twenty four, it says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, or the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came the doors having been shut, the idea they were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not who did not see and yet believed. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, we rejoice that you are the living God, that we're not speaking to a cloud in the air or to a concept or an idea, but to our living Lord. Through Jesus Christ, of Christ, through the, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we have the privilege to stand in your presence, to have, to have your righteousness on our lives. We pray, Heavenly Father, that this would be made by your Spirit a worship time. We have sung worship songs. We have honored you or sought to honor you with the words of our lips and the the testimony of our music. But we come before You, Father, just to ask Your help by Your Spirit to enable us to worship You in spirit and in truth. We welcome the ministry of Your Spirit to open the Word to us, to prick our hearts and consciences, to lift our burdens, to encourage our spirits, because your life. We pray, Father, that we've come today to worship and, and um, that worship would anticipate change in ourselves. Or if we're honest, we know we're not where we need to be, not where we used to be. We thank you, Lord, that we can be where we are by your power and grace. We pray You'd speak to us. You would work in us. You would change us to be more like Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Well, I'd like for us to think today about the triumph of belief. Because there is a victory in believing in the Lord Jesus. There is a victory that God gives us by the power of His Word, by the presence of His Spirit, by the blood of Christ, 
that wipes away our sin, but it does more than that. It gives us power to live, power to make right choices, power to make a difference. And um, what if I was going to put all this in to try to do it in one sentence or so, it would be this, that faith says God brings life from out of death or, and brought the whole of creation out of nothing. Just He just said it and it happened. That That's the answer of faith. He is my answer and can make my life and your life whole. It was a businessman who really wasn't a believer who, who was trying to make a very important meeting and he could not find a parking place. He kept driving around and around and he was going to be late to the meeting and like I said it was a very important meeting to him and he finally got desperate enough that he prayed. God, if you'll help me find a parking place, I'll go to church the rest of my life and I'll stop drinking. <laughs> and suddenly, rather miraculously, a, a parking place appeared. And he looked up to heaven and he said, never mind God, I found one. <laughs> That's not living by faith. <laughs> That's making excuses for not having faith, in a sense. But if we think about the triumph of belief, we see some things happening in Thomas's life that can instruct and help us. One of those things is that the absence makes our faith grow fainter. We need the fellowship of believers. We need the encouragement of other people who trust the Lord, know the Lord, and it's not just sort of an emotional thing. It, it isn't a group think, but, but it does help us, as God has designed it, to find strength in fellowship. Thomas wasn't exactly in fellowship at this time. He missed the first meeting when the Lord showed up. And uh, the Bible says he was one of the twelve. He was not with them. He is not being scolded for missing the meeting, but he certainly missed out on some blessings the first time around. It was a negative result in his own heart and life. Now let, let's suppose that, that the disciples, the other ten, because there are only eleven at this time, just, just kind of said to each other, well, Thomas has seen everything we've seen. He's been there with us. He knows all that's happened. There's nothing we can do. Sometimes we respond to people that have slipped away from the fellowship, slipped away from a walk of faith by saying something similar to that. Well, they've been around as long as we have. They, they've seen what's going on. They'll... There's nothing I can do to talk them into it. They'll just have to get straightened out in their own mind. Or, or we might even could say, as they could have said, well, Thomas knows where we meet. <laughs> and sometimes we'll say, well, don't worry about the lost. They know where the church is. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> they don't even know what the church is until you teach them and show them the reality of 
the Lord in your life and the life of others who walk with Him. Now, there was no lack of persistence in the personal witness of these disciples, though. Because the Bible says, in this present tense language, it says, they kept saying to Him, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. He's alive. We have seen the Lord. They kept telling Him. There are many who are skeptics who, who kind of want to make this a sort of an illusion that grows that somebody had a, a wish or an idea. They thought they saw the Lord and, and so they kept saying it and they said it enough that everybody began to believe it. I don't see too many people going out and dying for that kind of thing. They all did, virtually. If you examine the appearances that are recorded, of the Lord Jesus, there are ten. And five of them were on the first Sunday, Easter Sunday. The other five occurred over those 40 days that followed. And there maybe probably are others that aren't recorded for us. But it is clearly not hallucination. <laughs> it is clearly not an illusion. They were experiencing somebody who was real, who was alive. Thomas was uh, pretty strong in what he felt. He was pretty strong that has kind of earned him that name of being the doubter, doubting Thomas, because he uses strong language with his friends. He says to them, unless I feel the print made by the nails, unless I touch them, unless I put my hand thrust, really, my hand in the hole of his side... I will never believe. That's exactly what he said. I will never believe. Now we have to be honest with history and honest with reality. The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus was an amazing impact on the disciples. How do we know that? Because they kept locking the doors. <laughs> they kept hiding. And, and, in, and in this case, uh, they were locked behind the doors. But but it really shook Thomas. And he said, I, I'll ne unless I really physically touch him, I will never believe that he's alive. He was really missing out on the benefit of fellowship and worship. Because he found it difficult to allow the Lord to change his heart and his mood, his outlook, his attitude, but it was easier to say, I don't believe he's alive, rather than changing how he was. There was a Jewish young man who um, was, of course, raised in an Orthodox home, and they observed the Sabbath. And it was a very significant thing. He, he said as a boy, as his mother would prepare for the Sabbath, it was almost like he could feel the presence of the Sabbath coming into the room. <laughs> and he, he determined in his own mind, it must have been that way all over the world. That, you know, that just, it just changed everything. But then he lost his parents in death, and to him, it was as though they had abandoned him. And he kind of lost confidence in, who, in whom he could trust. He lost confidence in trusting God. So the point came where he said, I, I need to deal with this. 
So I want to, I want to do a test that, that ultimately proves that there is a God or there isn't a God. So this was the test he came up with. He, he planted two rows of radishes in the garden. Same length, same number of seeds. Same water, same everything. And he said, Lord, I, I want to ask, if you're real, I want to ask you to either curse or bless one row or the other so that I can see that you're real. That the radishes popped up and grew up and they were identical. The rows were identical and he took that as, as proof that there was no God. But he also said, I have a gnawing need inside of me to believe in something. That vacuum, God-shaped vacuum that He's designed in us. There is, there is this um, irreplaceable factor it shows in Thomas's life of the need for fellowship in belief. Not that you have fellowship in order to believe, but because you believe, you're strengthened in fellowship. And because you're in fellowship, you're strengthened in belief. That's the way God has designed it. I want to ask you also, in this triumph of belief, to notice the approach of the Master. What did Jesus do with this doubter? Did he come in and preach a sermon to him? <laughs> Did he come in and rake him over the coals? No. Was he soft and, and easy and comfortable with him? Not exactly that either. He came in as he had done the week before. The doors were locked and he just shows up. Now that, that would kind of catch my attention, I think, if somebody just sort of comes through a door. <laughs> And and they're there, and then they say, "Bless you with peace," and that's exactly what Jesus did. But he promised. He used the exact terms that Thomas said were needed for his confirmation of belief. Touch the nail prints. Put your hand in the hole in my side, and stop being an unbeliever and be a believer. Stop not believing and start believing. That was what Jesus said. How in the world did Jesus know what Thomas had stated when he wasn't there? Well, we know. (laughs) There's not a limit to his knowledge. He is God. But those terms were meaningful. Not just to Thomas, it should have been meaningful to the disciples because they had heard Thomas say the same thing. Jesus really said, stop the failure of your doubt and start the success of your faith. He would say that to all of us. In areas where we doubt the Word of God, in areas where we doubt that God will come through, in areas where we doubt that the living God is the living God, that, that's where we need to stop doubting and start believing. Because doubt is failure and belief is success. The refuse to move on the progression of faith that Jesus has set out for us is to move away from it. So I really don't want to believe. I want to back away. I don't want anything with this. But it was the passion of Jesus. And I think this is important. It was the passion of Jesus for people to believe. It's not a pep rally where he's wanting more and more people to cheer him on. 
It's a love rally. He says, I love you and I want you to believe. Because you're missing out on life if you don't. It was very important. It was a passion. And if you look at Mark 16, 14, the Lord Jesus, in a sense, scolds the disciples for doubting those who were giving witness to the fact that He was alive. But it was really a strong appeal. I want you to believe. I don't want you to miss this. This is life. Sometimes we get the idea that doubt is a proof of superior intelligence. But let's remember what the Lord says. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is foolish to not believe. It is not superior intelligence. It's the opposite. It's foolishness. God is excited. He is fully interested and fully invested in you and in me being successful as a person of faith. To be a successful believer. To really trust Him. Jesus confirms this own, His own amazing desire to, be, to see people be believers, not unbelievers. Thomas really didn't have the right to ask Jesus for that confirmation. Jesus offered it because that was his passion. That was his heart. I want you to know me. I want you to believe. I want you to realize why I've come. Why I died on the cross so that you might have life. The third thing we need to see out of this triumph of belief is a claim at the highest level. Because we might, we might miss that. It's such a short phrase in this story. But it's what Thomas said to Jesus. My Lord and my God. Just think about that. Think about the fact that apparently Thomas didn't really... Um, he didn't ask for that after he asked for it. <laughs> when he was in the presence of Jesus, he didn't say, well, let me, um, let me go ahead and feel your side. Let me go ahead and touch. It, it appears that he just embraced the reality that this was Jesus, that he was alive. But he gives the highest testimony of faith that you can find at this point in the Bible, in this point in the New Testament. In the Gospels. Because he's a Jewish man. Would a Jewish man say that? My Lord and my God to a person standing there. It's remarkable. It's amazing. He, he says, this is who you are. You are my Lord. You are God. It was an incredible statement. There's, there's really no stronger statement of faith or endorsement of who Jesus is. And it's really a leap of faith. A leap of faith that Thomas makes. And so it, it, it caused me to stop and say, am, am I willing to make that bold of a stand about alteration, change, reconciliation, restoration, obedience? Am I willing to, to stand up for the Gospel that strongly and say boldly and openly, 
you are who you say you are. And because you are who you say you are, these things need to be true in my life. It's not just ideas. It's a lifestyle. It's a change. He calls for that in us. A leap of faith. The last thing I would call your attention to is this. It is to adjust to believing is seeing. We have a cliche, right? Seeing is believing. That's backward. According to the Bible, that's backward. We believe and then we're able to see. We believe what God says. It's not blind faith. It's just trust. It's trust in what God says. It's trust in what He's done. It's trust in what He's given. It's trust in what He's accomplished. He gives us life. Now, some may look at this experience in the life of Jesus and Thomas and say, Jesus is slamming Thomas. No, I don't think so at all. Just because the Lord said, you know, have you seen? And so now you believe. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believed. He was not commending one part of the group and shaming Thomas. Because if you think about it, and you look back earlier in the chapter, you realize that the entire group had seen and then believed. Everybody was in the same boat with Thomas. Thomas was just a little more vocal about it. But they had all, like Peter, either denied knowing him or they had all run away. They were all hiding. They were all struggling with this. But there was no one in the room that had not first seen and then believed. Thomas was not being minimized. The only possible exception to that would be when Jesus makes an amazing statement about faith regarding the centurion who who came and sought Jesus' help for his child and the Lord Jesus said, your child is okay, is restored. And, and, and uh, after he said, I would come and, and the and, and the. Centurion said, I'm a man under authority too. I say to this one, go, and go, he goes. I say to this one, come, and he comes. And I, I recognize that you have, some, you have amazing authority here, so you just say the word. And he did. And he went back home, and he inquired as to the hour that his child got well, and it was that very hour. And Jesus said he was amazed at his faith. Amazed at his faith. He didn't see that he believed. That may be the only exception. If we adjust to believing is seeing, if we, if, if we get away from overvaluing reality and realism, not in the sense of being unreal or, or fake or crazy or, or just having... Um, phantom ideas. But from the standpoint of, of saying, I, I want to be real and, and, and actually be like Thomas, who, who appears loyal uh, to the Lord. He, he at least showed up the second time. But pessimistic. There is not strength to the church 
there's not a blessing to the individual life if we rem- we can't really remain slow to trust, slow and suspicious about grace, critical, full of doubts, and and try to offset it all by saying, "But I'm faithful. I'm loyal." No, that doesn't replace trust and faith in what God says. We we can't be slow to trust. We can't be slow and suspicious of grace. So this faith of Thomas changed the entire direction of his life, of his thinking, of his outlook. If you look at First Peter chapter one, there's an interesting statement in verse eight. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Things have happened for us and in us that we haven't seen because we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it says, eye has not seen, ears not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Things have happened. Things have been provided for us. Protection has been offered to us along through our lives that we haven't seen because of faith, because we trusted what God has said. To come along and say, um, well... You know, I just wish God would work some kind of amazing miracle that I could see. Then I, then I would have more faith. Then I would have more trust. Or, or we may even say, boy, if I could have lived back then and walked in the, those disciples' uh, crowd and, and been in their moccasins or their shoes, you know, their sandals, um, that would have been a different life. That would, I would really see things. The issue with that is that it's vanity and longing for the success in the eyes of men rather than what God has to say. We, we really are saying, I don't want to appear foolish. I don't want to look like a failure before men. I need additional assurance that I am wanted and loved by God and that God is in, at work in my behalf. Please look at the cross. You don't need anything else but the cross of Jesus. What He did for you. The empty tomb of the Lord Jesus. What He did for you. You don't need anything else. That's the most amazing miracle of all. That God loved you so much, He did it. He died. In your place. He died in my place. He took your sins, all of them, on Himself. He conquered death for you and for me so that we can smile at the future. And it wasn't just an all past kind of thing. He also put in you and in me a desire, a hunger, and an ability to live for Him. It's called grace. (laughs) He gives us grace to live. Strength. So we're we're not 
gaining anything by saying, well, Lord, just give me one additional sign and then I can really believe. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. There's a really fascinating missionary story that I would share with you in closing. It's about a missionary doctor. His name was William Lewis, excuse me, William Leslie. And he lived and ministered in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It was a remote corner of that land, and he, and he invested 17 years of his life there. But as he left, he felt like he had failed, that there really wasn't that much of an impact that he had made. He came home, he died nine years later. And in 2010, a team went in there to that area of the Congo as a ministry to examine what God was doing, if He was doing anything. They found a network of reproducing churches hidden almost like diamonds in the dense jungle near the Kwailu River from Vanga where Dr. Leslie was stationed. Based on the research that they had done, they, they thought that maybe the Yanzi people that might have some exposure to the name of Jesus but no real understanding of who He was. They really weren't ready for what they saw. When we got in there, He said, we found a network of reproducing churches throughout the jungle. Each village had its own gospel choir, although they wouldn't have called it that. They wrote their own songs and would have sing-offs from village to village. They found a church in each of the eight villages they visited scattered across 34 miles. They also found a thousand-seat stone cathedral in the midst of all that. It used to get more than packed out in the 80s as people would walk to attend services. And then a church planting movement began in the surrounding villages. He had traveled those areas for 17 years and didn't think anything happened. But he was entrusting his work to the Lord and entrusting what the Bible could do that the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. So what I would submit to you is you say, how would we know we had the evidence of faith in our lives? I think it's rather simple. The actions of faith are summed up in doing what God's Word says. You just do what the Bible says to do. And you have faith. You demonstrate faith. You operate in faith. Because you say, I believe what God says not only is true, I believe it works. So I'm going to live it. I'm going to practice it. I'm going to obey it. That's faith. Can we pray together, please? Father, we thank You for the lives of the men and women You introduced to us in Your Word. We realize none of them 
were perfect, but they were faith-filled people. We thank You for Thomas. We thank You that uh, he didn't stay doubting Thomas. That he changed and made his heart and spirit and mind amenable to Your Spirit's work. And he declared that awesome truth that Jesus is our Lord and our God. Father, I ask right now that Your Spirit would really capture our minds and hearts to focus on issues You want us to deal with individually. An invitation time is not just a tack on to the end of the service. Lord, we come asking that You would have Your way in our spirits, in our minds, that we'd make wise choices. That we would act as though we believe what You say. Thank You that faith comes from hearing Your Word. We pray that we've heard it at our heart level today. In Jesus' name, Amen.